0: to the Pursuit with your host, Rudy (laughs) J. Welcome to The Pursuit, your guide to happy, healthy living. I'm your host, Rudy J, and I'm here to help navigate your health journeys. Welcome back to another episode. Today, we are joined by Sarah Claire Lajeunesse. She has been a fitness professional since 2003. Her passion for physical fitness began at a young age through dance and continued on throughout her university years as a teacher's assistant in movement for theater arts. There, she studied voice, dance, Alexander Technique, Pilates, yoga, and contact improv. Since graduating with a BFA in acting and performance, Sarah toured the world as a professional performer for 12 years before settling in Toronto. Sarah is the technical director for Agatsu joint mobility and movement program. Her clients range from athletes, senior citizens, chemotherapy patients, to mentoring troubled teens. Her background and training include circus arts, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Olympic weightlifting, kettlebell sport, and yoga. Sarah truly believes that anything is possible if you're willing to work for it. It may not happen tomorrow or the next day, but as someone wise once told her, only perfect practice makes perfect. Her clients and class participants learn to heal their bodies through movement, building a strong foundation for fitness, And more importantly, for life. So I adore Sarah. I had the absolute pleasure of taking the movement and mobility certification a little while back with her and uh, Sean Mosen and they are both amazing. They're such a really solid team. Sarah has this incredible light about her. She is so positive. She's so uplifting. She has so much energy and holds space really, really well. So it's it's easy to see how all of her training definitely translates to her Uh, working with clients and holding space that way. So it was so amazing to spend a full week with Sarah and Sean. I'm actually headed back for a second Agatsu training in a couple of months. So I'm really looking forward to connecting with Sarah um, again. So today's conversation, this interview was so good. Sarah has been in this industry, as I mentioned, for years. She is amazing if you see this woman move. She is so strong, but she's got that wonderful compliment of being super strong but also super flexible. Um, so we talk all about her training. We talk about her experiences working with clients, what she's learned along the way, and this is just a really great conversation. If you ever have the opportunity to take any sort of strength training, movement, mobility, um, I definitely recommend the Agatsu modules. They are incredible to learn from. All right, let's pick Sarah's brain and welcome her to the episode. All right. So Sarah, welcome to The Pursuit. How are you? I'm great. Happy to be here. How are you? I'm so good. Excited to pick your brain. So you have quite the journey in the fitness world and industry. So briefly share this journey and how you kind of came to be where you are today.
1: I don't know where to start, but uh, I guess I always wanted to go to school to be a performer. So kind of goes back to uh, high school and being involved in music theater and everything. And then I figured you could go to university for performance and movement. And um, so I went to the University of Windsor for that. So I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts in performance. And through that, I just I just discovered the world of movement even more. I had this amazing teacher, uh, Gina Laurie Riley, who kicked my butt daily, like mm-hmm. she really did. Um, I remember her saying it's not enough just to be an actor or a dance, you have to be able to move. So, like, we would do push-ups, pull-ups, squats, everything. And I was like, wow, like there's so much more to performance than I thought, you know, because I just came from like tap dancing and ballet thinking, oh, well, if it looks pretty and I can jump or make sounds with my feet, that's great. But we worked out hard with her. Obviously, we did weight training. We did Pilates, Feldenkrais, Alexander technique, every sort of movement discipline under the clouds. Yeah, through that, I it opened up my world to so much more. And I ended up actually being her TA in my third year. So I got to run movement labs with her and for her in my fourth year, which was amazing. So just learning even more from that. And then once I graduated, I toured the world performing with various companies, which was really fun. However, when you hit about 30, you're like, wow, everything is moving so fast and I just want to have some some time (laughs) in one spot for a while. So yeah, when I hit about like 30, I decided I just wanted to spend a little bit of time in Toronto. That's where I was living at the time. And I'd always been a personal trainer when I was in university too, running those movement labs. And I had gotten my can fit when I was in university early on so I can make some money on the side. I I stumbled across this little gym that Danny Oaks owned and I just really liked the vibe of it. Um, I think at the time it was called uh, West Toronto, but it's now the Academy of Lions and Danny since moved on from there, but he started all of that. He asked me to coach his little Lions League, which was made up of his, one of his friends worked for the Ava Phoenix house and they decided that these at-risk youth didn't have any outlet for mental and physical like things they were going through. So So we developed this program called the Academy of Lions, which is why the gym is named that now. And uh, for three days a week, these at-risk youth would come and do like trainings with us. So like just movement-based training so they could get rid of some, you know, frustrations. And then we would help tutor them in like how to make a CV, how to apply for a job, Um, And we would also pay them for their time too, because some of these kids were not going to get jobs uh, considering the records they had. So it was a mentorship program that really opened my eyes to what movement was capable of in somebody's world. Mm -hmm. From there, I met Sean Mosen from Agatsu and I am where I am today. That's Mm -hmm. it. In in a short nutshell, what's (laughs) gone on. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. So I'm kind of just personally curious here. What was it like? Because you were relatively young when you were on the road, kind of touring the world. What was that experience like in terms of maybe your health? And if this was like when you first, first started out, how was your life at that time?
1: It was actually amazing. Like I, I don't regret doing any of it, but I I can see where a performer has like a 12 year shelf life. Like it Mm -hmm. becomes pretty taxing on the body. Like although everyone sees all this like glitz and glam, like, wow, you're in Malaysia now, now you're in Singapore, now you're touring the US. You know, like I literally get off a plane, I go to a hotel, I wake up, I do three shows a day and wash, rinse, repeat for like, I remember being in Malaysia and it was so hot. And I'm, this is not me complaining whatsoever. I'm super <laughs> thankful for these experiences, but I think it's the stuff people don't see behind the scenes. Um, so we were in Malaysia, it's like really hot and you are doing three shows a day. And I think we did 27 shows in 14 days. Like, you know, I remember being uh, at that point, I think I was 24, 25. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like my body is starting to feel a little wrecked. You know what I mean? Mm. And, um, and it's tough because, you know, you're living in a hotel, you don't have access to make your own food. You have to kind of take it as it comes, which I think everyone should experience. But I, I really do now that I'm in my later thirties, appreciate like a home cooked meal and sleeping in my own bed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so at times it can be lonely. Like your job is to bring joy to everybody and they see that on stage and then you get to meet the audience after and you're signing autographs and it's a lot of fun. But then you go back to your hotel room alone at night. It's like, Oh, okay.
0: And so you said you got your CanFit Pro certification when you were in university. Were you quite comfortable being a PT from an early age or how did that feel? Maybe because it wasn't your full-time job, maybe it wasn't as intimidating. I know the fitness industry has changed tremendously over, you know, the last little bit. Um, But what was that experience like being a new trainer? Actually,
1: I actually felt quite comfortable. So cut back to high school. Um, My older brother, he uh, was always involved in sports and so was my younger brother too. They were quite elite in their like disciplines. So my older brother did uh, sprinting and track and my younger brother did elite level cycling and cross country skiing. So I kind of grew up in a very sporty family, although Mm -hmm. I wasn't that sporty. I was more into (laughs) to dance, uh, you know, but my older brother would always like get me to like do some sprinting with him or lift some weights. So he was really my mentor from early on. So when I went to university, it just seemed like, oh, okay, now it's my turn to mentor. So I kind of just went into that. And I, I remember somebody telling me, well, you need to be able to be certified to have a job here at like uh, the local gym. And I was like, oh, no problem. And they said, just take your can fit. And so I did that. So I think I was like, 18 or 19 when I got it, you know, I put myself through university. So being a PT was great because I mean, I was like doing what I loved anyway. And then I parlayed that into making some money to further my studies in it
0: hmm, yeah, so let's fast forward to today, so yeah, you, you mentioned uh meeting Sean and being part of the <laughs> agatsu brand. Let's dive a little deeper into how that evolved like did you have to take all of the agatsu trainings that you now offer? what did that look like and then just maybe talk a little bit about your roles today within that agatsu framework?
1: yeah, so when I met Sean, um I ended up taking his kettlebell course as a as Danny and Sean are really good friends. So I took Sean's kettlebell courses like a thank you for working with the academy program. Mm. And so I I thought well, I'll take this fun little kettlebell course, but like we already use kettlebells, but m- what more can you do with them besides swing them and press them? You know, <laughs> Whoa, is I wrong? So I walked out of that course going, uh, my mind is blown wide open. I know nothing about nothing. By the way, I feel like that every time I take a course, I feel mm-hmm. like the more I know, the less I know, but that's amazing. Cause that's evolution, you know? Mm-hmm. So after the level one cert, I just, looked at one of my best friends, who was taking the course with me. And I asked her, I was like, okay, are we in on this level two course? Hell yeah. So we bugged Sean for like, I don't know, two months to put up the date for the next level two, which was taking place in LA. And as soon as we put it up, we were the first people to register. And I got to tell you, we couldn't, I could barely move a 12 kilo bell. I didn't have any pistols. I didn't have pull-ups. Like we had nothing for nothing. And we were looking at the requirements and we're like, well, Someday's is not a day on the calendar. Now we know that December 10th is the day we have to do this. <laughs> so we better get trained. But it was probably the best adventure I ever had because I think we really were, I don't think, I know we were terrified, but through that journey of taking the level two, we proved to ourselves that, you know, we can take ourselves from can't do to do and a trainer should be able to do that for themselves, not only their client. That opened up a lot of confidence for me too. So from there, I started taking more Gatsu courses. Now, all the courses that are offered today uh, weren't what was offered back then. I'm not Mm. saying I'm that old, but you know what (laughs) I mean? (laughs) There was a joint mobility and movement program, but it was two days and it was the entire body. And it was based more on martial arts. There wasn't a club course yet, although Sean was already using them. And there was an MMA course so and a barbell course. So I'd taken like the MMA one, the joint mobility and the barbell course. And then the more I got to know Sean and the more courses I took, we started like working together in Toronto, just doing workshops and stuff. And I got to learn a lot about martial arts. And I was like, wow, this is just like this in dance or this is just like this in like yoga or you know, calisthenics based. So we sort of riffed off and came up with this program that is now the joint mobility program, which is upper and lower body separate courses, plus an assessment course, which is what we developed last year with one of our good friends, uh, Fayez Abdulram, who's an athletic therapist. So, Mm. you know, we we really like the fact that at agatsu it's not just one person leading the charge we we are a team and we do make ourselves better working as a team and learning from each other so it's constant evolution when one of us takes a course or learns something we all get together and teach each other like we have summits every year for our senior instructors and affiliates and i'm just marvelled at like how much again like part of that evolution. Like when you think, you know, something, you actually know less than you thought, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing because growth is never ending that
0: way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I just, can you break down your roles at a Gatsus? What is your average week look like?
1: Well, I wear a lot of hats at a So mm-hmm. I do the administration. I set up all the, um, week long movement events. So that might be an intensive here in Montreal or, a week long training retreat somewhere in the world. Like we're doing Bali and Costa Rica coming up. I teach only two classes a week at the actual gym because I'm quite busy, Mm -hmm. but I take a lot of PTs as well. So my average week is anywhere from working at the gym, then turning around doing my own training, which is the most, like, if you want to succeed, you really have to map in your training. You can't let that go. So I train somebody at the gym or train a class. I train myself I turn around, I come home, I work administration, and then I always take some time at the beginning and end of the day as well for myself, like just uh, some meditation, because I'm not a Gatsu, I am just Sarah Clare at the end of the day, so Mm -hmm. I have to make sure that that is a a part of my training as well. I run the Joint Mobility and Movement Program, I co-teach the assessment courses, And then I manage sort of the company senior instructors. So all the different courses we offer, I set them up around the world too, depending on what gym wants, what sort of program I send out a different senior instructor to those areas. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely.
0: And what might you say is the biggest mission or passion or maybe even just goal behind your offerings? Like why it's very clear when we work with you, um, that you really enjoy what you're doing. So what do you think that driving forces to keep you going in all that you do? It's funny.
1: I never, I guess, set out to be a personal trainer or have this role at Agatsu. but what I did set out oh. to do was to be of service to others. So starting with those, those at-risk youth teens that I was mentoring, I was like, wow, this really makes a difference in their life. You know, and I, I never like publicized oh. myself as a, personal trainer. I just kept getting asked to do things. So my first clients were really like, yes, at the gym, they wanted, um, uh, sorry, in university at the gym, they wanted to like better themselves for these teachings that we were doing in movement labs. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, cool. And then I went to the gym uh, working with those at-risk youth. And then my second ever, I guess you could say real life clients (laughs) out of university, who we lovingly call the professor and his wife, Laura, and the professor is he, when I met him, he was in his, he was 75. He's now 85. He's legally blind and he only has one artificial heart valve that works. Wow! <laughs> and they were like, Oh, we'd love for you to be our trainer. And I was just like, Oh my gosh!" <laughs> I was terrified. I was like, why me? Like, don't you want a specialist? And they're like, Well, isn't that what you do? Isn't that your specialty? And I'm like, well, yeah, but I mean, like, this is a lot of stuff. And I said, you know, like, I will do my best to let me get in touch with your doctors, find out like the things you can and cannot do. Obviously, I used my teachings from university and my personal training certification. But that I think was the second biggest growth I had ever done as a personal trainer. It was really to be of service. Like I saw like this guy, he was going to a gym. He was doing some activities, but he really, like I asked him why he wanted to train with me. And he said, well, I just want to be able to water my trees. And I was like, oh, okay, no problem. Like take the hose out. He's like, no, I want to carry buckets to my garden. And I was like, wow, like what an inspiring thing. Like he, he really is just here to better his quality of life. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not to get a Tight butt or six pack. <laughs> and so I was like, well, yeah, I can do that. Like, I can, I can teach them how to be more stable, more mobile, more flexible, and and get those buckets to that garden. Like, and to be of service like that, to put it in that context meant way more to me than, you know, somebody comes to me and they're like, well, I want to muscle up. Like, I get it. A muscle up is a cool thing. But, you know, to, to really have a, an important why behind your goal will keep you sustained. And to be of service to others meant more to me than to be a personal trainer. Mm. And then my third client was a lady going through chemotherapy. So I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I I looked at it and she said, well, I just can't go to the hospital anymore for physio. And I was like, oh, well, why? Like they have great physios. And she was like, it depresses me. And I was like, oh, right. You go there for treatment as well. I know, again, I spoke to her doctors and together we came up with a game plan. And I, I, I saw that this meant for her, it was like, preservation of herself while she was going through the chemotherapy, you know, and some days she would call me and say like, I can't come in today. I really don't feel well. Well, that's her time. So I just met her halfway. I was like, well, you're going to, you're going to get out of your house. You're going to meet me halfway from the gym and we're going to take a walk, Mm -hmm. you know, regardless if it's, if I'm training someone in a gym or not, but like that walked to her, meant so much more than anything else like maybe she just needed time with somebody but again getting her body moving and i was like wow so what so my game plan goes out the window who cares it's not about like again that you know bulging biceps or anything it it really was about i i feel good when i'm of service you know like and at the end of the walk it would just be like okay like maybe we only took a few steps or went a few blocks but every day it was a little bit more and you know the rebound effect that you have you don't realize being of service is so much more rewarding than just going after those aesthetic goals.
0: Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that translates even when now you're working, you know, even just in our movement course. Yes, it's not about like trying to do something, but you can also tell how encouraging that encouraging you are, even when we were doing, you know, like our roles or something. And we (laughs) would like get it and you'd be like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like, no, because... The underlying root of that is your client or whoever is your student. They're just excited about Mm -hmm. being able to do something um, that they that they want to do. Those those are amazing examples, you know, of starting out. It for sure translates down into everything that you do now. You spoke a little bit about this evolution of learning and growth, and I think that that's so important and so valuable. And I'm curious to know how you, you keep your content and your offerings and your teachings fresh and engaging. Does that come from you continuing your own education or does that come from your own practice or working with students?
1: Oh, it's a bit of everything. I mean, like I'm, I'm movement nerd. Uh, I mean, I can't, hmm. I can't stop, but I guess it's not just movement. Like I just feel like we we're put here for a reason, you know, and you have to give what's right to give. If you're just kind of sitting still and not doing anything, you're stagnant. Like, and that that's also with your brain, not just movement. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like part of evolution is change and change is good. Whether, whether or not we want the change at that time, it's going to happen anyway. Like time keeps moving forward. But yeah, every time I teach a course, I discover so many new things based off the people that are in the course. And then I go and research different stuff. And then I meet lots of amazing people. And I just, I just love picking their brain and getting to live in their world for a little bit. I mean, that's why we do these retreats with uh, a lot of other peers that we have our students or friends from around the world, because I'm like, wow, I don't know everything about everything. And the more I get to learn, the more I get to bring to my own practice and then bring to my clients as well, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I also think too, like movement should be and any study should be about building competency, which builds confidence. Hmm. You know, you never want to move through life feeling like you can't meet the challenge. And I know there's times where that happens, where we get frustrated, and we get scared, but there's always a way to meet a challenge. So that comes from learning and 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 doing. You know, like this uh, one group of office work, working ladies I had, um, I took over their Monday night class and I got them like doing rolls and falls. And in the beginning, like, I just saw these, like, I'm not going to say shells of ladies. It's not that, (laughs) but like, but like, they looked like their job. Like they had like that, you know, kyphotic posture, their heads were forward and they just kind of looked like, you know, like they weren't that confident in who they were. Mm -hmm. And it's not my job to be a psychologist, but it's my job to show you there's a whole new world out there that you can discover for yourself and add some confidence. So like for six weeks we did rolling and falling and yeah, we were working out and yes, they were getting, you know, tight butts and six packs as a result. And they were climbing things. And uh, I remember the last class, I had them walk head first down five flights of stairs, like, (sighs) uh, sorry, a crawl head first down five flights of stairs. And they were like, oh my God, this is insane. And I was like, yeah, but look, you guys did it. No problem. They're like, yeah, but six weeks ago, if you told us we were going to do this, it would have been terrifying. (laughs) And I'm like, well, it's about taking those little baby steps. And it's about, you know, when you have a challenge, this is programming 101. The challenge is your goal. So start working backwards from that goal. And and make little mini steps for yourself. It's not about just like, hey, go and do this parkour jump without any knowledge behind it. You Mm -hmm. have to take these baby steps. But as you take baby steps, you'll soon realize like, hey, I have the competency to be able to meet that challenge now. And that just breeds confidence. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess that's the way I've always looked at fitness like I've never looked at it aesthetic wise you know what I mean and mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with training for aesthetics don't get me wrong here people you know (sighs) but I just at the end of the day I want I want you to have grown from whatever
0: training you're doing Mm -hmm. I find that so interesting because you can do all of those things, those movements that I think people want to be able to do. And in your own practice, is that kind of what you follow in order to be able to do all of the things that you can do, like your handstands and like, it's just breaking it down one step at a time. And what's your motivation behind being able to do all those movements?
1: Yeah. I mean, I do break down things one step at a time always, but I, my motivation is just like, I just want to see what this, what this body is capable of before Mm -hmm. my time is up. You know, like that Socrates quote, it's a, it's a shame to, for no man to see what his body's capable of, Mm -hmm. you know, to grow old and not do anything with it. To me, is just like a waste. It's not being of service. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I train myself to be like this ninja or anything. (laughs) I just see a challenge. And if it scares me, I know that that's, that's a good direction in which to go. For example, like I never set out to really do jujitsu. I just saw that as like, wow, that's a really cool movement discipline. And it incorporates things I already know, like rolling and falling, but it's quite like aggressive if you watch from the outside and it's very scary. Mm. But I was also like, well, it's a, a way of self-defense. And as humans are the only species or thing on the planet that doesn't have an innate mechanism for self-defense. Like even plants have (laughs) self-defense built into them, (laughs) but we don't. So I thought to myself like, well, okay, cool. I'm getting a fun workout. I'm learning new things. But at the end of the day, I'm also doing self-preservation and that's important. So I signed up for jujitsu. It's super fun. It's like doing human chess because at every (laughs) angle you think you have a game plan, Somebody's stopping you. So it's the best expression of movement improvisation that you can have really any disciplines like that. But I'll tell you, I, you know, so my kids went into it too, because I was like, oh, okay, let's try them out. And then I never forced them to do anything. They asked if they could try and it was like, perfect. And my daughter had like very little self-confidence physically. Mm. And then, you know, I saw her go from this girl who was too shy to answer a question in class to asking us if, if she could be in a jujitsu tournament. <sighs> we were like, Uh okay, and then she turns around and looks at us and goes, "Yeah," and we're all going to do this as a family. And I was like, "Oh no!" So so yeah, we all signed up as a family in our respective weight categories into this jujitsu tournament. And I was scared shitless. I got it. I got to tell you, but I didn't want to lose face in front of my kids. And I was also like, "This is the perfect time at which I can, you know, put my money where my mouth is and work backwards from this big goal and." you know, we all went out, we all did it. It was amazing <laughs> fun. And I think we all did better than we expected. Too. <laughs> so like just taking steps like that and getting out of your comfort zone is really, I know that sounds cliche, but that's really going to open up a world that maybe you didn't think you were capable of. And that's evolution, you know, like mm. that, that's how I learned, like either learning in different courses, but also learning through different challenges like that. Like maybe you want to climb a mountain awesome. Where do I start with that? And that's an amazing challenge or run a marathon or whatever it is. I think that whatever you do physically should also reward you mentally.
0: Mm. And was there ever a point in your career where you experienced overwhelm or that feeling, um, that a lot of us fitness professionals can relate to of not knowing enough, or there's always someone who knows more than you, or there's always another training to take. So, I'm curious if there was a moment where you kind of felt like, okay, I know what I know. I'm confident in what I know, even though there's so much more out there. Or is this something I think you mentioned that you still feel, you know, X amount of years into your training?
1: Oh, that's a great question. You know, I feel it daily. Mm -hmm. And I'm not gonna lie about that. Like, of course, I have always questions. Of course, I feel I never know enough. And of course, sometimes there's a ton of anxiety associated with that. But I also look at it too, and I'm only human and no one can know everything. And the moment, like I've taken some courses where people teaching have been pretty dogmatic Mm -hmm. and, and, and very, and guru is not a dirty word. Don't get me wrong, but very like their way is the only way. And that to me is like alarm bells go off in my head. I'm like, that cannot be the only way because we're all different. No one's paths will be the same. No one's bodies are the same. So therefore, they cannot be trained the same. So to me, I I would now reserve myself to not going to courses like that because I'm like, man, that person's not open. That that to me is toxic. And that Mm -hmm. will breed anxiety because that puts my blinders on there is not only one way. Like my biggest thing is it depends. I always tell people like, they're like, well, I want to muscle up. How do I get there? You have to look at their assets and liabilities. Like maybe their shoulder mobility is not great. Maybe X, Y, Z. So it's all going to depend. It's all dependent of the person you're training. As far as anxiety goes, I mean, like if you look at social media and you take that stuff seriously, you're going to make yourself crazy because (sighs) it's all people just out there marketing. Like this is a fitness industry so at the end of the day, like, you'll notice like, yeah, Agatsu has a lot of stuff because we have a marketing team, but my personal Instagram account and my personal Facebook is just all about me. Like I'm at the end of the day, I'm not a teacher. I'm still just me. And mm-hmm. if you enjoy what I teach, that's great. But I know that the courses I taught when I first started are nowhere near as good as the courses I'm going to teach tomorrow, you know, or in a year from now, I'll look back at the course I taught tomorrow and be like, wow. That's not as good as the course you're teaching today, but that's evolution. And that's why, you know, I continue to take courses. I continue to teach the way I do. Every time I teach a course, I go back over it. I reflect on it and see where I can make it better or where there's issues of maybe clarity. I take people's feedback very seriously. Like I, I am here to help you in any way I can. But at the end of the day, I'm human. And it's like an artist learning, like the first drawing they did wasn't great to the drawing they've done now. But that's the beautiful thing of it. As long as your blinders aren't on and you're not dogmatic, you will give yourself the best opportunities to keep evolving versus, no, this is my way and the highway sort of mentality behind it.
0: Mm -hmm. Could you give like a tip or a piece of advice for a new teacher, a new trainer who's stepping into the world um, and trying to offer but feeling, you know, disempowered or overwhelmed, or like they're just, you know, we all have to start somewhere. And that's, Absolutely. yeah, and that's such an important piece of it, but it's also really hard because I think in yeah. that beginning stage, it doesn't take much for, you know, someone to kind of throw your confidence or tell, or, you know, call you out on something and maybe you feel like, oh, I don't know this or, you know what I mean? And yes. kind of, and shake you instead of helping feeling like you can keep going. I think it's easy in the beginning mm-hmm. to get thrown off track. So maybe what's one thing that you would say to a new teacher or a finished trainer?
1: Don't feel overwhelmed in the sense that you need to give everything to everyone in that one hour. Like when I first took the kettlebell cert, (laughs) I felt confident walking in day one and zero confidence walking out day two, Hmm. because I was like, what I thought I knew, I don't know. So how do I, how do I bridge that gap? Well, okay. You can't give everything to everyone in Hmm. one hour because it's overwhelming to that client anyway. What you can do is start at the beginning of what you feel confident with. So for example, like the kettlebell, okay, I'm just going to work hinge positions with everyone all week, depending on what my client was. This is, um, you know, so I'm working to better their hinge. Okay. By working to better their hinge, I'm looking at all like their spinal stability, looking at their hips. And if I did that all week, I get really good at that one thing, Mm. right? So then the next week I can work on loading that hinge with a deadlift, just a simple kettlebell deadlift. So I get really good at teaching that all week. So I'm refining my practice without overwhelming myself or my clients. So you have to keep it simple and you have to teach what you know and have a progressive approach to it. So maybe if you did this each week, You know, by the end of the month, you would have people swinging the kettlebell, which Mm -hmm. is what you wanted to get to. But maybe it's overwhelming to teach someone who, you know, doesn't even know how to hinge yet. And you're trying to like, you're trying to give them the end result without meeting them halfway or seeing where their beginning has to be. So in simplicity terms, just teach what you know, have confidence in that and make it simple. Don't try to do everything. You can't change one
0: person in one hour. It's too much. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's super helpful. And I'm just curious, I'm kind of throwing this at you, but you mentioned, and I agree that we are all different in our bodies. We all need different things. We all start from different places physically. Have you noticed any patterns or movements that you think we could all benefit from, and maybe we should all be doing more of? I mean, I notice it in my kids,
1: like people sit so much these days. And I know that everybody's like chairs are the enemy, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Well, I mean, the body has to be capable of doing a lot of things, but it is what we do most of in our days. So if our movement diet is mostly sitting, we're going to look like sitting because we've trained it for 68 hours a day. Um, So I find people's posterior chains really weak nowadays. Mm. Like the the capability to hinge is kind of out the window. Um, Ankle dorsiflexion Mm -hmm. is another thing in kids that I'm just like, wow, like this has really gone too far. And it's, you know, it's, it's part of the school system we can blame it on, but it's also us as parents, you know, we need to make sure that we're not just sitting down doing activities with our kids. Like we go for walks, we do movement with them. We have to be good examples. And I notice it more in kids than I do adults now, because at least adults have the wherewithal to be like, oh, I should get to the gym or I should go to my yoga class. Mm. You know, I should do my stretches. Kids are just kids. So we need to we need to build that into their daily movement diet as well. But yeah, people's posterior chains, Dorsiflexion and that head forward posture just seems to be like we evolved to this magnificent Homo sapien, but we're de-evolving. <laughs> like if you if you look at the you know the graph of like you know ape to human, we're kind of going back down towards <laughs> the ape. <sound> of posture. <laughs> So just, you know, playing little games where there's like awareness going on. Like, so we have a hallway in our house that leads from the living room to the kitchen. A little stupid game that we like to play is you, you are not allowed to walk down the hallway. You must get down to the kitchen (laughs) somehow other than walk. So like, you know, and making the kids a part of that too is like, okay, you get to choose what locomotive thing we're going to do. And kids are going to come up with all sorts of things. Like maybe we'll crawl, maybe we'll bear walk, maybe we'll hop on one foot. But like just playing little games like that, that can open them up to different awarenesses they have in their body is really great.
0: Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm
1: a crazy weird mom, but anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it. And I, and I think that's really important. We're all so concerned about that one hour workout that we're doing in a day that we, yeah, that we totally disregard the other hours of the day when we are sitting or driving right. or on our computers like let's stop being so obsessed with getting that one hour sweat in whatever workout it is and really learn how we can take that movement into as much of our day as possible
1: yeah it's not and and people are obsessed with perfect posture like mm-hmm. listen there's optimal alignment for when you're moving load and blah 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 but you also have to practice postures that are not optimal and that are at a disadvantage Mm. because that's going to make your improvisation through daily life a lot better and it'll help mitigate injury. So I feel like introducing a little bit of movement play throughout the day, throughout your movement diet really does help give you the sort of those vitamins, you know, to, to mitigate injury, to, help you become more competent in your movement diet and in your confidence in moving in new directions.
0: Mm, definitely. And I think that's, that's also, I just want to mention, especially for the listeners who are yoga teachers, um, we become so obsessed with postural alignment and the knee over the ankle. Um, something that I for sure learned taking the movement course with Agatsu is, you know, play with those boundaries. Like it's okay if your knee shifts in this position or, you know, you move move in different ways. And yeah. I think that that's really key. Just noticing and observing the patterns of my own students. Like it may feel weird and they kind of get uncomfortable when you're trying to tell them to do something that's not within what they're used to. But I mean, again, if we're going back to that idea of being of service to others, Mm -hmm. let's get over ourselves because, you know, it's not about being maybe liked all the time as a teacher. Maybe you're doing things that your students are not going to love, but they're going to benefit from. And yeah, yeah, so I'm glad you said that move in different ways, different patterns, as many as you can. I think that's super, super key.
1: And at the end of the day, if we're, if we're being good teachers and trainers, you know, I want my client to come back healthy. So if I get them moving in positions of disadvantage, you know, like positions that aren't necessarily optimal alignment, we live in a country where there's four seasons, if they fall and slip on the ice, Mm. you know, I hope to mitigate injury there because I've taken them into weird ranges with control and taught them their body, some awareness and some competency in those ranges. But the problem is if you never do that, and you have an accident, like a slip and fall, Mm -hmm. your body has never been in those ranges. Well, that's where injury can really be quite bad. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I'm not going to say you're not going to bruise your hand or get a scrape or an injury, but you want to mitigate the extent to the injury. Mm -hmm. And I, I also feel too, that's why like, if you if you want to be a really good movement sort of diet, you know, go towards these disciplines that also get you in those funky positions, like, you know, like, like a martial art or dance or yoga, something that's not just repetitive in one motion. Does that make sense? Definitely.
0: Mm-hmm. And what would you say is the best piece of business or personal advice you have received in your journey thus far?
1: Oh, I mean, one of I I consider Gina Laurie Riley, one of my first mentors, or my brother first, and then Gina Laurie Riley. And then when I got out of university, I met this wonderful woman who I'm sure you've heard of. Her name is Jane Clapp. Hmm. Um, She runs uh, Urban Fit out of uh, Toronto. So I worked with her and for her when I was living in Toronto. Hmm. And I remember her saying when I first started out, she's like, Sarah, it's not about getting more people in class. It's about taking care of the ones you have in class. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. She's like, we take care of our own first. We make sure everyone has food to eat at the table. And from there word will spread. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. not about like getting these groupons and bringing more people in f- through like always like kind of advertising, spending tons of money. It's about taking care of the ones you have. From there, your family will grow. Mm. I still live by that today. Yeah. Mm. And that's why we call a Gatsu a family. Like if you've taken one of our courses... I, I really impart on you that we don't disappear. We're still here to be of service to you. You can send us an email you know, if you need a phone call. And it is true. Like if people are like, oh, wow. Like I sent you an email and you replied and they seem like shocked. I'm like, well, of course I would reply. I mean, it might take me some time because I might be on a plane or something, but <laughs> I will always get back to you. And if I forgot, just bug me again, because I don't feel like it's just like a Hey, I studied with you for two days or a week and then that's that,
0: Mm. you know,
1: like part of evolution is to be of service. And if your client or student needs you, yeah, answer their emails, answer their questions. And you'll grow from that too. Like I value when someone sends me a question because then I have to think about it and I have to, you know, maybe ask my peers for their opinions. And, and we're all working as a team to help this one person, but through that I'm getting better.
0: Mm. Amazing. Mm -hmm. And can you share a quote, a passage, a phrase, something that guides you and that keeps you going in your own journey?
1: This is so funny because I was actually just thinking about my next tattoo and it's a quote from Basho. It's seek not to follow in the footsteps of the wise, seek what they sought instead.
0: Hmm. Does that mean kind of like going to the source or going back to the root of what it is and not?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't copy. You know, Mm -hmm. go back to the root, go back to the source and develop your own path and your own journey. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that speaks volumes to like, you know, evolution should be and how to deal with anxiety and stuff. Because if you're trying to copy, you'll always be anxious because you're not being truthful.
0: Mm -hmm. You're not,
1: you're not developing who
0: you are. And I really like that because it's like, learn from a teacher, but understand that that teacher took what resonated with them and they're presenting it in a different way. Yeah. than how you would present it if you were learning it from the original.
1: And a good teacher will always shine a light, but Mm. you have, you know, they'll shine the light on the path but you have to make your way
0: hmm.
1: if that makes sense Definitely. and then my other favorite quote just because I have to say this all the time mm-hmm. <laughs> at my, at my uh, gym when people are training and they get really discouraged because you know if you live with a, a goal there will be times of frustration mm-hmm. but it's from Muhammad Ali and he says if they can make penicillin out of moldy bread we can sure make something out of you <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it <laughs> So, you know, sometimes you got to bring humor into it too. Oh, amazing. In wrapping up, I always ask my guests the following five sentences. So the first one is I make self-health a priority by... Putting myself first. Mm. And
1: I know that sounds a bit selfish, but um, if you're being of service to others all day long, you have to have something in the tank for you. So my first priority when I wake up is me. Mm. And that's not to say like, don't bug me. I'm not a morning person. It's like... (laughs) I have a routine. I make my coffee. I walk my dog. I play with my kids. Like we wake up early. So we spend time with each other because I I just don't want to wake up, roll out of bed and get to the gym and try to be of service to others without being of service to myself first.
0: Hmm. I maintain authenticity in my offerings by...
1: If I'm not of service, then I'm not really being
0: authentic. Yeah. <laughs> A mindfulness practice that keeps me grounded is?
1: Walking my dog. Hmm. I feel like that to me is my meditation. It's my time. There's nothing There's nothing out there except me and her. And it, although the walk is for her, it's just for me too. Like I so enjoy just being out there, smelling the air, seeing the things, whatever's going on that day. And it it forces you to take a break. Like having Mm -hmm. an animal
0: really forces
1: you to stop being selfish. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: I believe in the timing of my own opportunities and I practice trust in them when? When I trust others. I establish impactful connections with others and grow my tribe by? I think just
1: making my tribe a part of my family
0: like it's never been about money or
1: anything like that for me it's just like like if i'm if i'm giving time to someone I want them to give that time to themselves and commit in themselves. And that comes back to me. So I I really think about it like a family, like all of my clients and
0: students, I think about like they're my kids. (laughs) Mm, I love it. And to totally wrap up based on the notion that the pursuit of yoginess is ultimately the pursuit of the self. Can you share one final thing your own pursuit has revealed to you and moved you towards self growth and success.
1: Oh, there's always room for more. Mm. Like
0: there's
1: there's there's always room for more, you know. Just just learn like if you don't have money to take courses, that's no problem. Just just go and even volunteer. Like mm-hmm. I can't express this enough. Like volunteer work will teach you so much more about the person you are and the world you live in and that costs nothing,
0: mm-hmm. you know. that,
1: that, that was, yeah. I won't stop volunteering either. That's that. I think that's been one of my
0: greatest teachers as well too. Mm, I love that. And where can the listeners go to connect with you after the show?
1: Um, they can go to agatsu.com or they can send me an email. at Sarah at agatsu if they like, or they can check out my Instagram, which is adventures of Sarah Claire or my Facebook profile. I answer all of those all the time. Maybe not like right away, but I will get back to you.
0: (laughs) Amazing. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to chat and share all these wonderful insights. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. And that wraps up another amazing episode with Sarah Claire. Thank you guys so much for being here and for tuning in. If you want to dive a little deeper, check out the show notes or links. You can do so at rudyjimenez.com. You will see that just below the episode. Support us at iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review or at patreon.com slash rudyj. You can check out the Instagram page if you are looking to stay updated on content being released and go and check out the Facebook page and click that like button and keep showing your support. All right. Thank you guys so much. Until next time.